0: Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. So I was scrolling through Instagram, this was probably last summer, when I was struck by an image, if you want to put that on the screen this caught my eye. I stopped the feed. It was in the New York Times Instagram uh, feed. And I discovered that this is a program in a California prison. And so I started to read a little bit more. The uh, article's author named Brian Siebert went on to explain, this is part of a nationwide effort to turn away from retribution and punishment and toward rehabilitation and healing. And it often uses the arts. But this is a rare program that uses dance. And so the particular dance class was even more rare because it was created by two inmates. Kenneth W. Webb, he said nobody dances in prison. That was his initial response when his friend Dimitri Gales brought up the idea. Kenneth is on the left, he is reaching out his arm with a a cap on in that dance, and then um, Dimitri is on the right. In 2018, the two men had already been in prison for 10 and seven years respectively and they had gained access to rehabilitative classes and they really liked what they were doing there they enjoyed the programs and one day just in some downtime kenneth began teaching his friends some hip hop moves and Demetri looked at him and says why don't they put dance in these classes and so the two of them wrote up a proposal and they were surprised that it was actually approved in a prison System where people are intentionally restricted, dance opens up, brings freedom. There's movement and there's, it takes a hardness and it begins to soften. Kenneth said the class and their mind, how they wrote it out to win the approval was that it's an extension of community that they were building. And they wanted to challenge the culture and be quote, beacons of positivity. And people started to notice. Well, first, the other inmates started to kind of mock the ones that chose to dance. Um, But Albert Jerome Beckley Jr. said, We were hardcore gang members, but I've been able to find myself, and I like myself better now. And Rashawn Green said, Other people are asking how to join us. It's because the hope we have. They want that. This idea of hardened hearts um, that we can become hopeful. It's in our study of Hebrews 3 today. This is a biblical concept. And if you're joining us for the first time, we're in a new series. And I hope you, you can catch up back on January 14th. We did an intro and you can, um, on echochurch.org, we have our online service or podcasts anytime that you want to go back. But you'll get the history of the book. And we'll recap a little bit of it today. We're calling it Jesus There and Back Again because we were in Lord of the Rings vibes when we began this series. But truly, this was about this letter of Hebrews is to a group of people who were on a quest to figure out their faith. And truly, we still are today. So that gave us this, these friends who were on a journey together. Hebrews is a letter. It was written by someone we don't know. We don't know exactly the author. And so there are guesses that some of the early church leaders who worked with Paul, like Priscilla, Aquila, Barnabas, or Apollos, a lot of them, you know, those are the kind of the top four candidates for potential authors of this. But what we do know is that they were living in Rome, and they were writing to a group of Jewish people who were worshiping together in their homes. They were house churches at the time. And the way it indicates, like, city and urban life, we're guessing that they might have been in Rome. So here's a group of people who grew up Jewish and are now figuring out, oh, Jesus. Jesus is this this person who was fulfilling God's promises. And the author is a friend with them, the way that they speak um, with full knowledge of what's going on in the church. And here's the thing, later we're going to get to it, but we need to keep this in mind now, is that this group of people were facing persecution. On in Hebrews 3, we're going to read that their material possessions were lost, they were imprisoned, and they probably had a lot of Jewish family members just push them away because they had chosen Jesus. So we need to know that they're in a very tender place, But you know when things hit you and then your mind starts to go, right? When your bodies, when your emotions are physically taxed, then it's when you start to think, hmm, I don't know. Is what I believe really true? Is this worth it? And so the purpose, the entire purpose of the book of Hebrews is this friend is reaching out to other friends and saying, yes, Jesus is who we thought he was. And they're going to dig all the way into ancient scriptures there and back again to show, yes, Jesus fulfilled all these promises of God and he's worth holding on to. So that's been where we've been so far. And there's been a lot going on because this is, you can read through Hebrews and get something different every time. So let's look at the couple of things that we have pointed out so far. Because the person writing is trying to say, here's all the things that Jesus was and wasn't. So first, they say, let's look at some things in our Jewish history that are important to us. And we've got prophets and angels who were, that was the way that God had spoken for centuries. And if you look in the scriptures, what we know of as the Old Testament, that is the way God spoke often to his people. And so the author begins by saying, Jesus, he was a messenger from God, but he was different. He was greater than These earlier messengers, because Jesus was actually Yahweh, the name that God has invited us to call him. Yahweh, the Lord God, the great I am. Then in Hebrews 2, the author is like, Jesus is also different than the law. We grew up following the law, all of us who were Jewish, and that's the way that God had been connecting with us again for centuries. And so the author has to say, but Jesus. Though he was just, he looked like an ordinary human, this is who he actually was. He was fulfilling the law. He was our new connection to God. And then he also said that Jesus, actually because he became human, also became human's family. He was our sibling. And it says in Hebrews 2 that Jesus was not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters, his family. He set aside his status as God to come and be among us. So that's all of this summary together is to help the Jewish people see that the way that they believed wasn't obsolete. It was now stepping into a new season where Jesus had fulfilled the things they hoped for and was ready to take them to new places. Today in Hebrews three, we're gonna get one more comparison because Jesus is gonna be compared to ancestors like Moses. And we're also going to find the first direct challenge, and this won't be the last, but the author is going to look and say, because of these things now, here's some steps that I want you to take. So let's begin in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. I'm reading from the New International Version this morning. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus let's just pause. Let's do that right now. Why we come every Sunday is to fix our thoughts on Jesus. And if you've come in with an anxious mind or burdens that you're carrying, if you do nothing else this morning, sit and fix your thoughts on Jesus. Let's keep going. Jesus is compared now to Moses in verse 3. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, but Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. Okay, here's some Jewish History for our context, Moses was viewed as a hero for God's people. And if you were with us last year, we read through the first so many chapters of Exodus, and we watched that God spoke through Moses to bring about freedom for his people had been enslaved.
1: And so he's the hero,
0: right? And people continued to revere Moses at this point in time. So the author of Hebrews is like, I'm not taking anything away from Moses, but he was still human. And so he was trying to say, Moses was human, spoke to Yahweh, just like you and I can speak to God. We can pray, we can be used by God for great things. But he's like, Jesus was in fact God. So therefore, Jesus was there from the beginning. When the world was created, Jesus built the house. So the metaphor, Moses was serving the house, Jesus built the house, I don't know about you but it says like the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself but do i don't know do you know about houses or buildings or amazing structures i mean i look at them and i think they're awesome but i don't often like dig into the history of who built them so i tried to do that this week and i was like you know googling googling the top architects and i found a name zaha hadid on the list Born in Baghdad, she was the first female to win the Pritzker Prize, which is apparently like the Nobel Prize for architecture, is what they call it. She passed away in 2016. But what caught my eye was that one of the articles was like, she built a building in Cincinnati, the Contemporary Art Center. I don't know if you've been downtown and seen it, um, but it's been 20 years. It's the 20th anniversary of this building. And there was a competition and people submitted their proposals and they narrowed it down to three and then they chose hers. And I'm kind of disappointed because, okay, number one, it's free to go down there, but apparently there's been an exhibit since September of her work and other people honoring her work. So today's the last day. If you can make it by 4 p.m. today, go see it. But if you've seen the building, we're gonna just look at the outside because from the outset, she began to interpret what was inside, and she had two features that she was structuring all of her design around. Feature number one was called the urban carpet, and if you look at the bottom floor, if you've ever been in, the entire lobby is glass, and you are invited to walk in, and everyone can see, and so she said that was her idea, was that pedestrians move about downtown, and she wanted to invite them in, to have access like you would in a public square, that this museum should be such a place. And then the next feature, she was inspired by a jigsaw puzzle, three-dimensional, this way. But if you look at the different features, the building sticks out in various ways. It's not an even surface. And actually, inside every art gallery is a different height, length, and she even said, you need to vary the light, the lighting in each one because she was trying to bring about that various shapes and sizes that contemporary art can inhabit. And she wanted the building to already give you that feeling. And so in order to get these different structures, if you ever go in, there's like really interesting like ramps and escalators to go up inside because you had to like get to the different levels and all of this creativity. And I've walked it before, but it has such a different meaning when you hear the meaning behind from the builder themselves, from the creator. Okay, back to Hebrews. Um, The author turns a corner here. So they've already compared Jesus to Moses. That's our last comparison for now. And now, like, speaking of Moses, um, I really need you to not behave like the people did when Moses was around. So this is what happens. This is our digging into ancient scripture today. This is from Psalm 95. The author says to their friends, So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. This is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on my oath in an anger, they shall never enter my rest." Notice an intro before quoting Psalms, it said, So, as the Holy Spirit says, and we were talking about this in our small group this past week. Was like Psalms, these were this is a book of songs and they were written for different occasions and yet still guided by the Holy Spirit to be used centuries later for other purposes. That it's always truth, even if they were using the song for a a special service. So, here. The author is saying, look what this is actually talking about. And we've come to the topic of the hardened hearts. That's a painful descriptor that's not thrown around lightly because it's not just a moment where someone's mad because they're irritated by someone else. It's like a long lasting shutting off, a barrier, something you can't access, like a deep bitterness that has turned resentful or maybe even combative. And I have a feeling that some of us in this room have experienced that with other people. A friendship that you really don't know what happened or a family relationship where you just can't connect anymore. And there's like a helpless, hopeless feeling when someone has hardened their heart toward you. And God experienced that. We're made in his image, and we respond to each other, and we feel these things. God has feelings, too, that he's talking about here. And after being freed from slavery, Moses led Israel for decades, and what do we see, how the hardened heart was demonstrated, is in Numbers chapter 14. Here's an example. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, you know we read that and we're like yeah, I get in bad moods I grumble too but but there's something that's evident here we're saying that there's something going on inside they're like if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness why is the Lord bringing us to this land wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole assembly but they talked about stoning them okay the people wish they would go to Egypt, which meant slavery, so that's already a bad mindset. That's harmful thinking. And also, the leaders were out there trying to do good, but they're leading them into something challenging. And the people are like, we disagree. Maybe it'd be better if you were dead. Okay, that illustrates right there. Killing someone because you disagree with them. Is that not like the oppressors of Egypt that they had spent centuries being enslaved by? 400 years of slavery. And surely, when Egypt was in charge, they would kill people who disagreed with them. But God, God got angry at this. And I don't want us to brush by it because, well, God's anger makes us uncomfortable, right? Probably because it's been weaponized. Uh, Probably because some people only have talked about God as angry, and that is not true. This is very specific, and it's very righteous. God's people were tempted to look like oppressors. That's what they were deciding to do. They were tempted to oppress their leaders. And as demonstrated throughout the Bible, God spoke again and again saying, I brought you out of Egypt, meaning my character, Yahweh's character, he says, I'm the one who liberates. And yet his anger happens when the people begin oppressing rather than liberating. Yes, God can get angry, but his anger probably is stuff about we get angry too, right? He's angry at damaging people made in his image. And God was like, I'm not just holding Egypt accountable, but if Israel starts to look like Egypt, then I will hold you accountable too, even though even though I call you my people. So the entire point of God mentoring the nation of Israel was for them to look like his love to the world. So when they're not, God's like, nope, we're going to stop that right now. I cannot have you showing the world and having people think that this is my love. But God also demonstrates that when, you, when there's anger there, because we can find a lot to be angry about, right? But what do we do with the anger? There's healthy and unhealthy ways. So the people, they were angry at Moses and like, we don't really like your leadership right now. They're like, let's go with violence. And God is demonstrating, let's create positivity with this anger. So here's an example. Jesus, also Yahweh, he lived out anger in positive ways. Jesus got angry, and a lot of times it was with the spiritual leaders of the day. He's like, you're using your authority and your power in order to just hold it all for yourself. You're not demonstrating what Yahweh's character truly looks like. And at one point, they would ignore the needs of other people just to set a trap for Jesus. So let's read in Mark chapter 3. Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Notice they're not doing anything to help this poor man under their care that they're supposed to be shepherds of. They're just watching. Jesus looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed by their stubborn hearts, and he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely healed. I was... um, I was in a job where I was editing Sunday school curriculum years ago, and my supervisor at the time was like, have you ever noticed this? He's like, Jesus got angry and then healed. Like, you don't think of, like, you know, happy, like, you're excited that someone is healed. It's like, out of anger, I'm going to heal. I mean, that's just, I don't know, it's fascinating. But Jesus was angry at the stubborn, hardened hearts who look like their Jewish ancestors at this point, and he wanted them to be liberating people out of darkness rather than letting them linger there that's what the true spiritual leadership that Jesus wanted and so it should make us angry there's some things that should make us angry when people are overlooked when people are treated with spite when they're demeaned so what can we do with that anger well hopefully we can see that people take positive action. So we see people get angry and they protest. People get angry and vote. People get angry and create advocacy organizations. People get angry and choose a job where they can go make a difference day after day. And there's all these ways that we can get angry and then choose a positive step. And we can do this in the name of Jesus because we believe that that's what Jesus was living out anger and then creating hope. But it's when we hold in the anger and we don't have an outlet, that's when things harden. There's a lot to be angry about. This is what this author didn't want his friends to do. We're going to finish in verses 12 and 13 of chapter 3. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Okay, notice that there's two words here, sinful unbelieving. It's not saying that doubt is bad, but there's a comma there, it's connecting. There's this, like, a combination of it saying, like, if you're stepping away from Jesus because something within has grown hard, then that is what this author was calling out. It's like if you're clinging to selfish, harmful ways, and that's why you're walking away from Jesus, then that is what we're crying out against. And things like that can, it doesn't happen immediately, right? If you've struggled with with anger, or if you know someone who has, it's, it's usually not, pretty instantaneously, it's built up over time and not finding hope or encouragement. This week, researcher and social work professor, Brene Brown, she created a post on her website and it was pretty striking because she opened up publicly about something that's been going on inside her. Known for her TED Talk and her many books on vulnerability, Brene confessed that her heart had hardened. Here's her quote, outside of my awareness, she said, I slowly traded my strong back, soft front and wild heart for a guarded back, a defended front and an armored heart. I became intensely self-protective and hyper-focused on creating as much certainty as I could in a world that felt completely out of control. Which makes sense, we feel that, right? But then she realized, resentment becomes so comfortable, you stop noticing it. And she continued, I thought I knew this. I researched this stuff. Why couldn't I see it? Over the past few years, she said, I've slowly become separated from myself, from my knowing, and most importantly, from my spirituality. And she, she is a church-going believer in Jesus, and she said, The rest of the piece goes into how she reached out for help. But she had to admit that. Like she was this poster child for vulnerability and then had to say when it was too much for herself. So if we look, we look at Brene's story or the men in the prison system in California dancing. We look at the Jesus followers in the first century church and all the way back to the Israelites in the desert. Now let's look at our hearts because there's still oppression in the world. We've encountered deceptive people. Um, We bear witness to harm. So how do we keep our hearts from becoming hardened? Back at verse 13, encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. How poetic today is today. Tomorrow will become today. It's always today. When we live in community, like here at Echo Church, we, our job is to encourage each other today. Preventing a hardened heart takes heart community and consistency. So we need other people reminding us daily because we forget, right? Maybe we have a little Dory mindset that it, we need reminders. We forget. But it's true because you see the negative and you just need to be reminded of the positive. Because what sticks in your mind the most? I don't know why. Our brains hold on to the negative. So it's like we need those constant reminders of the hope of Jesus. And so by placing ourselves here in this church community we're not only saying help. I need encouragement daily. We're also committing to say I will provide others encouragement daily. Now we may go through seasons where we're we're receiving a little bit more than giving, and that happens. But our goal is to care about all the hearts in this community. That's the point in every part of the Bible. And this, the people receiving the letter of Hebrews, they were not individuals. The author is not speaking to each individual heart, saying that you live together and you can help each other, and that is expected of you. So that's expected of us here. We have expectations to care for each other. And to be honest, that means two things. One, you might notice a friend that you've chosen to live in community with here at Echo who is struggling. And perhaps you're nudged by the Spirit. I've been calling them Spirit nudges this year. Nudged by the Spirit to go gently and say, Friend, I don't think you're showing up the way you want to. Speak those words gently, even when it's tough. Gently. But it is actually encouragement. On the other hand, you might receive some hard truths from a friend that you've chosen to live in community with here at Echo when you are struggling. And if they have the courage to speak to you, listen carefully, even when it's tough. It is actually encouragement. Because that's the point. We're not alone in it, and when we struggle, other people are here for us. That's the point of the church, is to figure out Jesus and how he brings us hope. And it's nice to have reminders. And I like that even how many thousands of years ago, this was written down because humanity needs encouragement as long as it is called today. Let's embody Jesus' hope because that'll bring, that'll soften hearts and encourage each other. Um, I like objects, lessons. I don't think that they should just be for children. And so occasionally I bring some. Um, So when you come forward and we're going to have a time of communion next, but there's little cups and they have heart stickers. I like a good sticker. You can write on it with a Sharpie. And maybe put it somewhere, to remember a scripture from today, or just to keep encouraging one another, or just have hope. There's also a bunch, so take more than one. Give it to someone else who has encouraged your heart. There's something tangible, something visual, and that's why Jesus left us a meal to take, a meal to eat together. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Don't forget I died and rose for you. That's hope. Don't forget. So the way we don't forget is every Sunday we taste, we smell, we see, and touch. And we remember Jesus brings us hope. So we end on communion in our time together. And if you would like to participate with us, after I pray, we're going to have friends down here serving for us. And we're going to just take some time and remember that hope and remember your challenge to receive and to give encouragement in this community. Will you pray with me? Yahweh, the Lord God, you have created a house that we get to be part of, this church. Thank you for giving us reminders because we have short attention spans and short memories and we hold on to the negative instead of the positive. Thank you for giving us each other. Help us to live out your hope and encourage one another today and all the todays ahead of us. We lift you in your name on high, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, We meet on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.